Roger for uh, leading us in that time of prayer and uh, just uh, for the reminder of how important it is to pray for each other. And as I've often said here, it's, it's good to share. It's good to pray right here on Sunday morning. I think it shows that we value prayer and we're willing to do it, but we really want to ensure that this is not the final time that we lift up these requests to God. So let's continue to pray for each other during the week. And uh, if you uh, are not comfortable sharing something that's on your heart here uh, in, in this setting, uh, there's a blue card in your bulletin. You can write a prayer request on that. Put it in the, in the um, drop box in the back table in the foyer, and the Spiritual Life and Care team can pray for you. You can also just let me know. We want to continue to lift each other, each other up in prayer. One other thing I'd say just before jumping into the sermon is we've announced now a couple weeks this uh, baptism and membership class happening on January 25th. Uh, this is a commitment-free class. So if you are at all interested in uh, what membership looks like, what makes Stony Brook tick, uh, what, what baptism entails, what we believe about all of those things, you can come to that class and get that information and you're not obligated to go any further if you do not want. So I just, again, want to uh, let anybody know. If you're just at all interested, let me know. Uh, I'll let you know some of the details about that class and I'm looking forward to working through that with that group on that evening in January. Uh, I wanted to share with you a few other sayings from this uh, game I, I talked about last time, wise and otherwise, because I enjoyed these sayings and because I'm a bit lazy. I'm like, you know, I can just keep sharing some of these for all my sermon intros for the next while, and there we go. Don't have to worry about being creative anymore. So here we are. There is an old Thai saying, one cannot breathe through another's nose. I'm not sure how that was tested, but it's probably true. There's an old Nigerian saying, a bearded man is a truthful one. And yes, I, I uh, did that on purpose so that you'd all pay attention to what I have to say this morning. There's an old Danish saying. Oh, no, it's supposed to be Danish. No, German. When it rains, the trees become wet. That one wins the prize for the most obvious proverb. <clears throat> now we're going to an old Danish saying. One must walk a long time behind a wild duck before one picks up an ostrich feather. I don't know, like, if was it an ostrich the whole time? They just thought it was. I don't know the story behind that saying at all. And finally, there's an old Polish saying, teach your children to bite stones. I know Karen and I are going to start that lesson soon after the service is over. We don't want any part of our parenting to be left behind. We want no stone unturned or unbitten. Yeah, we have wisdom. Wisdom and, and proverbial sayings are around us in every culture, and, and these are, are funny to us largely because we don't know the entire context, and a lot of the times the ones I choose are the ones that I find the most hilarious, and, and we don't really know the, the wisdom behind it. But that's not the case for us. We can go to Proverbs, and we're going to do that again this morning, and we can go there knowing that these are, are sayings that are, are God-given wisdom. And they have a tremendous amount of value for us. They are designed to be understood, and they're designed to be lived out. And so as we come to Proverbs this morning, we are going to let it teach us what wise speech looks like. Wise speech. I'm going to get out in front of it and say, this is an uncomfortable lesson for me to learn during the course of the week, but now you all get to learn it with me. But before we get to the specifics of wise speech, we're going to be reminded of the fact that as we kicked off this series last week, we learned that God is the source of wisdom. 
that it is from God, not from ourselves, that wisdom is given. Proverbs 2.6 says this plain as day, for the Lord gives wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom. It is from Him, which means that wisdom is not a human construction. It's not something that we can compile or put together or discover on our own. It's not a human achievement. And so we need to guard ourselves today and every other time we have these sermons. This is not a self-help talk. That as much as I hope it will be practical, and as much as we should put some disciplines into practice leaving here, that it's not about discovering how to be a better person, or that we can somehow now earn our ability to be wise. God is the source of wisdom. And the source is not this one-time deal. This is a continual flow from God's heavenly riches to us. And what might begin as a trickle can now gain steam. And as we live each and every day as, a, as Christ followers, we can have this flow increase in our lives, this wisdom of God increase in us. And when we truly worship God, his wisdom will flow through us. That is what we learned last week, and it becomes a great place for us to remind ourselves as we continue. But if we read the rest of that, <clears throat> proverb chapter 2, verse 6, it says, The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Not only should God be the source of our wisdom, he should be the source of our wise speech. In particular to this proverb, God and his speech is how he gives wisdom. He it has this perfect example through his word of what wise speech looks like. And so we, as followers of the Lord, want to emulate him. We want to become more like him. We want to follow his example. But even there, that's not something that we do on our own. We know that this is a product of God's Spirit abiding in us. And now the, the, the theological word for this is sanctification, that, that when we place our trust in Jesus and, and the Spirit of the Lord abides in us, then that Spirit is hard at work forming us, changing us, molding us more and more into the image of God to have His character. And as the Spirit is hard at work doing this, not only should our character reflect the Lord, but our speech should reflect God as well. He is our example and our source of what wise speech is. And so how does God speak? How does he use his word? What example are we following? Now, this would be a whole sermon. In fact, it would be a whole different sermon series if we were to unpack this in detail. But just think for a moment, just reflect on what, according to Scripture, God's word is. The word of God is living and active. It always accomplishes his purpose. It is full of life, always true, flawless. The word of God is a lamp to our feet. The word came down to earth to be our salvation and is eternal and everlasting. Now, that is quite the list. If that is the word that we are aspiring to, to be like, then we have a lot of work to do. In fact, God has a lot of work to do. And we need to diagnose by asking ourselves, does our speech reflect God's word? Does it flow from him? Do we say things that are flawless and true and full of life and helping accomplish the purposes of God? And of course, we're going to have times and situations in which this is not completely or perfectly true. 
as we are on this journey of God continuing to make us more and more like Him. But we can do some things to help our speech be wise, just as God's speech is perfectly wise. And that's the question and the idea that we take with us to Proverbs. And as we begin to understand what wise speech is like, we begin by acknowledging how important speech is. Speech, communication, is the the building block of every single relationship in our life. It doesn't have to be verbal. It can be nonverbal. But we can't have relationship without communication. And if that's true, then we can begin to just scratch the surface of understanding how important speech actually is because it impacts all of our relationships. Commentator David Hubbard, I'll quote from him a little bit. Uh, Most of the time through this series, I, I love his commentary on Proverbs. He says, speech and prayer are the two most obvious external signs of what it means to be made in God's image. They enable us to live in relationship with the Lord and with each other. So wise speech is a great place for us to begin because it impacts how we relate to every person. It's crucial in having relationship and community. And so as we go through some of these lessons, I know that there will be times in which there will be a specific relationship that might jump to mind for you. Oh, this lesson thinks about, um, it reminds me of how I can work on my marriage or uh, parenting or relationship with family. But what I would encourage all of us do, to do together is to keep in mind how we talk impacts our community here at Stony Brook Fellowship. It's crucial. It's critical. In fact, it can make or break our desire to accomplish God's mission, to be the community and the spiritual family that God desires us to be. It requires wise speech because it impacts how we relate to one another. So I'd encourage you at the outset to consider how these lessons can be put into practice in our own community as a church. And of course, of course, Speech is important. It's also important not just because it's the building block of relationships, but because our heart and our tongue are connected. And this is something that Proverbs talks about repeatedly, over and over and over again. But instead of of coming out and saying it in a straightforward way, Proverbs uses poetic parallelism. There you go. To make this point, poetic parallelism. I was worried about getting that one right this morning. Listen to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 20. This should be on the screen behind me as well. Proverbs 10, 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. So what are the many things is this proverb saying? Well, we would, we would assume at, at first glance that if it's talking about the tongue of the righteous being valuable like silver, then it should be compared or contrasted with the tongue of of the wicked, which is of little worth or not very valuable. But that's not the comparison. The comparison is between the tongue and the speech of a righteous person and the heart of a wicked person. And the reason for this comparison is is the lesson that we're learning today, is that our heart and our speech or our tongue are connected. They are related. What comes from one reflects the other. And this is one of numerous examples throughout Proverbs in which there is this poetic parallelism, not between the tongue and the tongue, but the tongue and the heart, because they are connected. A lesson that Jesus would have been intimately familiar with himself. And he makes this even more simply known to us and his followers in Luke 6, verse 45, where he says, The good person, 
out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Your heart and your mouth are connected. And what Jesus says, what you treasure, what is most important and valuable to you, what you fill your innermost self with, will one day overflow and bubble out of your mouth. And what you say reflects what you value, or what you value overflows. Now, I was thinking, like, our heart overflows out of our mouth. I was trying to think of a good analogy. We had a lot of sickness over the, over the course of Christmas. And I was like, no, I don't really want to go there. But I did. What we value, what is important to us, is what we talk about. And so the first lesson that we can take note of today is that wise speech doesn't begin with the mouth. It begins with the heart. We can't approach this as just saying, okay, I will guard my tongue. You need to guard your heart. I will be careful with what I say. You need to be careful with what you fill your heart with. So what do you love? What do you value? In the words of Jesus, what is your treasure? What do you watch and listen to and read about? Who do you worship? Where do you get your wisdom? Now, once again, we see how it is vital that God is the source of our wisdom and that he abides in our heart. And just as the path to true wisdom began with true worship, our path to wise speech begins with guarding what is in our heart. And that is also something that leads us to true worship of God, that he would have this preeminent position, that he would sit on the throne of our heart. And when that is true, then all the things that were true of God's word will become true of our word. Because if he is foremost in our heart, if he is our treasure, then he is what we will speak about. And he and his character and his priorities will be reflected in our speech. It begins not with our mouth, but with our heart. Now, as much as God is the source of wisdom, and as much as it is his work on our heart that is really the root cause, there are some good disciplines that we can and should do when it comes to working with our words as God works on our heart. We are still involved in this process. Yes, it is God's work. Yes, he has called us to be a part of it. We do need to live differently. We do need to have some discipline. And the first discipline that I would say Proverbs gives us, loud and clear, is to be slow to speak. If you want to turn with me to Proverbs 17, there are a few passages here that we will go over in the next few minutes. Proverbs 17, 27 says this, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a, so he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. All right, church. This proverb makes me uncomfortable because I am not very good at it. <laughs> I am a talkative person. I find it difficult to restrain my speech. Any other talkative people out there? You can raise your hand. It's not a sin. It's not bad. Yes. I love to talk. I love words. And so at first glance, I'm saying, is being talkative a problem? Is it bad? Is it wrong? And I would say, no, being talkative is not the problem. The problem is, being a naturally talkative person can lead unchecked to some bad habits. And these habits ultimately show a disrespect for other people. So what do I mean? Being 
Talkative isn't the problem. The problem is not leaving enough room for other people to speak or constantly interrupting others. Always turning a conversation towards yourself and always needing to have the last word. Those can be the problem. Because if we indulge those as talkative people, even if we don't mean it, often when we don't mean it, it gives a sense of disrespect towards other people. And it says to them that we don't value what they have to say, that we don't want to hear their stories. It's all about us. And that is the issue. Not being talkative, but being disrespectful. These form some bad habits, and we do not want that to happen. And so that's what this proverb is speaking about. Restrain your speech. Leave room for other people. Don't form these bad habits. Allow your restraint of words to show that you care about the people that you're talking to. And ultimately, as we establish, the people that you're building a relationship with. Restrain your speech. I've been very fortunate over the course of my life, especially my career in ministry, to have a few very influential mentors. Uh, one of the most influential would be a gentleman by the name of Lorne Meisner. He was the, uh, the district coach uh, for the Baptist General Conference, of which I was a part of previously. And, and he was interim pastor at New Life Church for two years. And while he was interim pastor, I met with him regularly, and he mentored me. And, and one of the things he showed me was, was this idea of lifelong learning. He was constantly learning new things, even though he was right before retirement age. And one of the things God was teaching him that he passed on to me was the economy of words. That was Lauren's phrase. God was teaching him the economy of words. So yes, we were put together the same way. We loved words. We loved to talk. We would preach sermons that mm, didn't always stop at half an hour. And so God was impressing upon him to restrain his speech to economy of words. He said, hey, in that conversation, did I need to say all those things in my last sermon? Did I need to take all of those minutes? And he was learning to very intentionally scale things back, even a little bit, because it left room in conversations. It left room on Sunday afternoons. And what it did for him and what hopefully it will continue to do for me as I, I look to strive for this is it gets more to the point. Not just about what you didn't say, but what you did say was more on purpose. It was more intentional. It went straight to what needed to be said, the economy of words. And I'm grateful for a mentor that showed me how to in some way live out the meaning of this parable. So let's work on this economy of words, this restraint of speech together, especially my other talkative folk out there. But that was one half of the proverb. The other half teaches that a wise person who spares his words is of a cool spirit. You want to know how to be cool? <laughs> Restrain your speech. That's not really the type of cool that, that the proverb is trying to teach. You see, being restrained in speech can take down the temperature in any room and in any situation, which is another lesson that I was taught that I, again, am imperfectly learning in my ministry. I was in my practicum at Prov. And my professor there was Al Tithon, and he said that we as pastors ought to be a non-anxious presence, which means that whether it is a good thing or a good emotion, if you are too excited or too talkative or too wound up about something, 
then that can raise the temperature in a room, whether it's a, a, around a dinner table or whether that's a, a, around a coffee table or a, in a board meeting, whatever the case is. Or it could be negative whether you're anxious or fearful or worried or upset. It doesn't matter for good or for bad. If we are too much of that thing, then it raises the temperature of the room and it does not allow other people's space to feel like they are comfortable there. So it is hard, but it's a discipline to be a non-anxious presence, and I'm not naturally good at it to the point where I've had to remind myself at some meetings I've written on the top of the minutes, be a non-anxious presence. Allow room for others to sit and to feel and be welcome and to speak up. We can be a calm and a cool presence by just choosing not to say everything that comes to our mind. But there is another significant benefit to you about being slow to speak. One of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 17, 28, just one verse later. What does it say? <laughs> Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. <laughs> I have far too often proven myself to be unintelligent by choosing to talk when it was not necessary. The benefit to you is that people will assume you're wise because you don't prove Otherwise, like I've always said, fake it till you make it. (laughs) If you can't be wise, if this is too much, just be quiet and let people assume the best. Because that often can happen. But let's face it. We have all put our feet in our mouths before. We have all said something where we ought not to. We have all said something when we didn't have all the information or we weren't experts, or we didn't know the context, and we have have really spoken before we thought everything through, spoken before we had all the info, spoken when we should have remained silent. That has happened. One of my favorite uh, comedians is Brian Regan. Brian Regan has this little bit about saying, you too, when it's not always appropriate. He shares his story of going to a restaurant, and then the server brings the food and says something simple and polite, like, have a good meal. And then he says, you too even though the server's not eating. And so then he compounds it, makes it worse by saying, ah, on your break, maybe if you have a snack, maybe you may have a good snack, or when you eat next, have a good meal. Of course, we all have these moments when we say, you too, and it's not appropriate. I had this moment, this exact thing happened to me at the airport one time. I was going through airport security, and uh, I think I might have had to do an extra scan out of a standing in that little tube of, of shame, or whether they were going through my bags for something in particular. But at the end of it, the airport security person said, have a good flight. And I said, you too. And I was like, oh, in my mind, I was like, this is my Brian Regan moment. And so I did the Brian Regan thing. I said, okay, well, have a good flight if you fly next time or later. I'm not sure where you're going. And this person looks at me just like, what are you talking about? I said, okay, airport security guy doesn't know about Brian Regan. Probably not the place for jokes. I just need to be quiet. In that instance, I proved otherwise. Even a fool can be wise if keeping silent. Discipline number one, we need to be slow to speak. And discipline number two is related to that. We need to be quick to listen. Now, these Proverbs don't talk about listening specifically. But I believe, I'm convinced, that is exactly the practice and the discipline that we need in order to carry out all that the Proverbs do teach us about being restrained in speech. And why is that? You ready for a groundbreaking moment? You can't listen and speak at the same time. (laughs) It's 
Seems very obvious, but it's true. So if you want to speak less, then focus on listening more. Focus on listening more, and you will, by nature, speak less. In fact, you will also be able to gain a lot of good habits, a lot of good ways of naturally showing respect to other people. Because again, this is the building blocks of our relationship. Being a good listener sends all the right messages that being over-talkative does not. When you listen well, you leave room for others to speak. You do not interrupt people. You allow conversation to be about others, and you don't have the need for the final word. And so those good habits will show a natural respect for the other person, a desire to see and to hear how they are doing, and they will be a healthy, positive building block for the relationship that you are trying to build. But this is not just any listening. This is active listening. <laughs> listening is not just the act of not speaking. It's about being clued in to what the other person is saying. I found this definition online. Active listening requires you to listen attentively to a speaker, to understand what they're saying, to respond and reflect on what's being said, and to retain the information for later. This keeps both listener and speaker actively engaged in the conversation. More than just not speaking, it is active listening, being turned towards and giving your full undivided attention to the other. And I find this hard. I'm still working on it. A few years ago, I thought it was a pretty decent listener. And then my wife told me that she learned that one of the parts of being a good active listener is you're not supposed to uh, formulate your response ahead of time. I was like, but how do you have a conversation then? That's impossible. You mean to say that when someone's speaking, I'm not supposed to already be thinking about a good way to respond? She's like, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm like, well, then I have work to do. And I'm sure you do too. And again, it's not because I don't care about the person I'm listening to. It's because this is how I have done conversations my whole entire life. Active listening is something different. It's something valuable. It's something important. It is something biblical. And the Proverbs don't talk about listening explicitly, but James does. And James, in his book, his letter that bears his name in the New Testament, he talks a lot about the tongue and about speech. And he says this in James 1.19, Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So what have we learned? We've learned to focus on listening, and your speech will follow. So again, we've done a lot of talking about how to be wise in speech, but the lessons we've had are to be wise in what you treasure in your heart and to be wise at focusing on listening. And in both instances, when we focus on those things and how we talk to each other, we'll change and be affected for the better. And this is something that I am committed to doing as your pastor, and I know I have been imperfect, and I know you're sitting here, and you know of times in which I've interrupted you and turned a conversation back towards myself and had to have the last words. And for that time, I am sorry. But know that I am committed because part of my job, I'm not just paid to get up here and talk. I'm ultimately paid to listen to you. And so I'm committed to this, and I want your help. It's a great time for me to remind you that my office door is always open, and I love for you to stop by. I would love to listen to you. I can also remind you that my cell number is in the church directory. And if you call me, especially not on a Sunday afternoon, I'm very likely to pick up, and I'd love to to listen to you. And it's a great time for me to remind you that I listen best with coffee. 
one cream, one sugar. That's not too hard to remember. I'm committed to learning to be a better listener. and something that I desire to do for you and that we can desire to do for each other to build this community in a way that reflects and honors and glorifies God through our talking and through our listening. But that's not all that Proverbs has to say about wise speech. It pushes back on one of the dumbest sayings that we have. A little childhood saying. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what a bunch of hooey. That is the worst, that's possibly the worst thing any child could say. We know that it's untrue. Our experience in life lets us know that it is untrue. We know it's more than possible to be hurt by words, but it's also untrue because the Word of God teaches it to be untrue. I'm going to draw our attention to Proverbs 12, verse 18. 12, 18. I think this will be on the screen as well. There you go. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Sword thrusts or healing. Proverbs makes it clear. Our words have the capacity to hurt tremendously or heal tremendously. And yes, Sticks and stones may break your bones, but yes, words will hurt you. Our words have the capacity to hurt. And in fact, Proverbs uses a very visceral example of sword thrusts, piercing and stabbing somebody. That is how hurtful words can be. And I know, because you have all lived long enough, even the youngest members that are here, have lived long enough to know that words can hurt because you have been hurt by words. And we take those wounds And we keep them with us. We internalize them. They stick with us for a very, very long time. I'm going to give an example. This is not the horrific nature, but just how sometimes the words that hurt are the ones that we remember. Uh, I shared the story just last week with a few others by the sound booth. I was taking my homiletics class in seminary. Part of our homework there was to, to create and prepare and then preach a sermon in front of our class, and they had to give us their feedback. And I don't remember any other feedback except for this. One guy in the class said, don't take this the wrong way, which is never a great way to start some feedback. But you have a real Muppety quality to your voice. I I like listening to it, but it has a Muppety quality. And I know what you're thinking. He is right. (laughs) Because he is. Gerbert the Frog here. Why do birds suddenly appear? Every time you draw near. I do a pretty good Kermit the Frog. But I don't remember anything else he said except for that. That was over 10 years ago, church. And you know what? You'll find this amazing. I don't like the sound of my own voice. You say, how could someone who talks so much not like the way he sounds? But that, that feedback that I was not supposed to be offended by <laughs> struck a nerve for me. And I carry that with me today. That is a small example. But those hurtful words, intended or otherwise, are wounds. Wounds that we carry. Never underestimate the damage that can be done by hurtful words. And I know that the unfortunate thing is that as much as you are sitting here thinking, I know that I've been wounded, you also know of times in which you have wounded others. We've done that. I've done that to some of you. And I'm sorry. 
And we have the ability through the grace of Jesus to have love and mercy and forgiveness. And we have the opportunity and the ability in Jesus to do better. And can we do that together? Never underestimate the damage that can be done by those sword thrusts of hurtful words. But that is not all that Proverbs teaches. Proverbs teaches that these words also have the capacity to heal. The way that we speak can be life-giving and can bring healing to those who have been wounded, that can give comfort to those who mourn, that can give encouragement to those who feel in the valley. Words have the ability to do that. One of the things that another mentor of mine, that first lead pastor I worked with, he said to me, he said, you have to have thick skin in this job because there will be criticism, fair and unfair, coming at you. He says, but there will also be words of encouragement. And what he had done is he had created an encouragement file. And over the course of his 44 years, it had become multiple files filled with emails and cards and memories when people encouraged him. And I said, I'm going to do the same thing. So I have an encouragement file in my office. And there are many cards and emails and memories that you have given me over the past three years, that when I am just having a bad day or when I feel like there have been some wounds that come my way, I can go and I can pull that out and then your words still have the capacity to heal. They still do. And I am grateful for that. But there is perhaps no stronger relationship where this is true than from parents to kids. No other words have the capacity to hurt or heal quite the same way as parents to their children. You can talk to any counselor and they'll be like, yeah, that's 100% true. Right, Stephanie? Is that true? It's true. And I am so incredibly grateful to have parents that went out of their way to say that they loved me, that they were proud of me, to encourage me to live in the way that God desires me to live. And now my mom, she didn't have as many years to encourage me as she wanted to, but I stand up here today and I know without a shadow of a doubt that she is proud of me because I don't have to guess because whatever time she had available to her, she used her words to heal. And that's going to far outlast her time on earth. Never underestimate the healing that can be done by wise words. So will you choose words that hurt or heal? That's the choice in front of us. That's what Proverbs is bringing us to. That's what our life has taught us. And that is a decision that we can make every time that we open our mouth. Will we choose words that hurt or heal? And this has personal and collective impact. Remember, speech is that crucial aspect to all of our relationships with God and with others. And I would say this, that if you choose to use harmful and hurtful words and you hurt those around you, you will find yourself alone. It may not happen right away, but you will find yourself out of relationship, lonely, having burned your bridges. It is never okay for the other person to be wounded by your words, but it will never be okay for you to do the wounding. You will find yourself out of relationship if that's the way you choose to live. And again, I really want us to think about this decision in the context of our spiritual family at Stony Brook. Are we committed to healing words? Do we take great pains to avoid hurting others with what we say, both to their face and, most importantly, behind their backs? Because there is a laundry list of churches that has, their community has been undone by gossip and by slander and by hurtful words. Undone completely, solely for the fact 
that more people chose to wound than to heal. We can choose differently, and you do a great job with this, and I am proud of you for it. But we all have an ongoing role to safeguard our community with how we use our words in the front line of this battle. So I invite the music team. They're going to come forward. We're just going to remind ourselves of where we've been in our 34 minutes together. That's not too overly talkative, I hope. We've learned that our speech matters. Our words are connected to our hearts. We must be slow to speak and quick to listen. And we need to understand that our words have the capacity to hurt and to heal. So with all of this in mind, I leave with you our second word to the wise. A few select words make for healthy relationships. Let's pray. Gracious God, I am so thankful for second chances. I know there are times when I have not been a good listener and when I have chosen words that have hurt instead of words that have healed, when I have not guarded my heart and therefore have not guarded my speech, God, and I thank you that there is forgiveness and mercy and grace in you. God, I also thank you so much that you are at work in our lives to make us more like you so that our words will reflect your words and that they would cease to hurt and begin to heal and that they would show respect and desire for the other people that we're building relationship with. God, I ask you to do this for me. I ask you to do this for us as our community in Stony Brook. I pray that this would be a present reality in our families and that we would be able to celebrate what that healing will do through our speech ultimately, as we worship you. Amen.